This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm a 32-year-old man, yet it is broad daylight as I write this post, because what I'm about to share haunts me to this day, to the point that merely thinking about it, or in this case, typing this memory, is enough to send chills down my body and make me feel like a terrified child. I've only told this story to a handful of people over the past 10 years because of how terrifying an experience it was for me. But I feel it can be therapeutic to get it off my chest and share with others. Maybe others have had a similar experience. If so, please let me know. To tell this story and give it justice, I have to tell you of an experience that happened three years before my terrifying encounter this post is about. Buckle up. This will be a long post, but definitely not boring. My name is Joshua, but... I will change the names to protect the privacy of the others involved in this story. I live in Arkansas, and in late 2003, near the middle of fall right before it started getting really cold, my wife and I were invited to camp with a friend of mine and his girlfriend at Sugarloaf Lake in Oklahoma. I say camp, but the actual plan was to meet at Sugarloaf with my friend, we'll call him Bob. He wanted to take me and my wife around to some paranormal places in the Sugarloaf area. So we got there around 7pm. I was driving a white Ford 1996 F-150. Bob was driving a 1980-something white celebrity. And was really a piece of crap vehicle. Anywho, it was late dusk becoming dark. We all climbed into Bob's car and he took us around the area. First to an old abandoned house, but other than some raccoons rustling around, it was a two-hour waste of time. Then he took us to our graveyard that was supposed to be haunted. Again, a bust. Then an old church that was run down and supposed to be haunted. Once again, yawn. Now at this point, it was getting close to midnight, and my wife and I were getting pretty bored. And I spoke up to Bob saying, Man, this really hasn't been that freaky of a night. And that's when Bob smiled, saying he was saving the best for last. He handed me a Polaroid picture of a hillside covered in trees and daylight. I asked him what it was. And he asked me if I saw a house or any type of light pole or anything in the picture. To which I replied no. He took the picture back and said that's because there isn't, and there's no power lines either. But this time, 
He turned down an old dirt road and passed a small house. Then after that, it was two miles of dirt road with woods on one side and barbed wire fence on the other, with about two acres of field connected to a wooded hillside. Nothing to light the night except for the full moon overhead and the clear starry sky. After what seemed like forever, he stopped the car and told us all to get out. We did as he asked. He walked us to the side of the car where the fence, field, and wooded hillside was. He looked at his cell phone, which his phone and mine had no signal. Now this was about 2003, and this area had no cell towers. But he looked at his phone and it said it was 11.57 and told us all to watch the middle of the hillside. Even at complete dark, I could tell this was the same field and hillside from the picture. Two minutes go by and nothing has changed. Then, at exactly midnight, a small light flickers on in the middle of the hillside. A chill runs down my back as my wife, Bob, his girlfriend, and myself watch as this small light, which to me looked like an old kerosene lantern, begin to move, swaying just back and forth. We set in and watched in complete silence for what seemed like several minutes when I finally spoke up and asked what the story was with this. Bob replied he didn't know, but the locals had told him that at midnight, every night, this lantern will light up and sway back and forth through the woods until the sun comes up and it disappears. Nobody knew what the story was. I was a 19-year-old guy at the time who didn't think anything could scare me or hurt me. And so, since there were no houses around, I yelled out, We see you. Wow, you're so scary with your little lantern. Bob shushed me, but it was too late. My wife screamed and pointed. I was laughing, but my laughing stopped as I looked to the hillside to see the lantern swaying back and forth, but moving down the hillside to the field at an unhuman pace, gliding. It began to speed across the field towards our car. We didn't stick around to see what it was because within seconds, we were in the car and flying down the dirt road back to the lake. We looked back to see the lantern moving slowly up back the hillside to where it first appeared, and the ride back was silent, until Bob spoke up, saying, Crap, I forgot to put in gas earlier, and the only store around is closed, and if we decided to go back out anywhere, it'd be best to take my truck until we could get gas in the morning. He only had about a quarter of a tank. I said okay. And a few minutes later, we arrived back at Sugarloaf Lake. We had parked by the lake docks, and we dropped my tailgate and sat and talked about what had just happened. Now, Bob's girlfriend was pregnant at the time, and told him she was hungry. He told her that we had brought some snacks, but she said she needed actual food. But since the local store was closed... He asked if we could take my truck to the next town over to get some food because his car wouldn't have enough gas to get us to that town. I obliged. We shut our cooler, put the tailgate up, and loaded into my truck. I turned the key and nothing happened. 
My truck was dead. Deader than dead. No ding, no lights, no clicking noise, nothing. For all intents and purposes, you would think the alternator was out. This was strange, and after the night we had, it made us all feel very uneasy. We got out of the truck and popped the hood, pulled Bob's car around to the front, and attempted to jump my truck with his car. Now, this is where it gets even weirder. As soon as we connect the jumper cables to his battery and mine, his girlfriend starts his car, and within a second, the cables in between the connectors start to smoke, and in a flash of fire, they burn up within seconds. The cables were nothing more than bits of melted rubber and ash, with only the end clamps still on our batteries. Bob runs and turns off his car, and we take the clamps off the batteries. We look at each other in the early moon and starlit night. Did I mention there were no light poles around? Well, we both had a bad feeling at about the exact same time as we suddenly realized we had been hearing a distant noise in the lake that was getting louder. It was a boat motor. Now, like I said, this was the time of year it was starting to get cold, especially at night. We were bundled up as it was, and we were standing still on land at night, but somebody was out on a boat. After midnight, when it had to be chilly as all hell with the wind hitting them. And from the sounds of his motor, it was going pretty fast, but we saw nothing. That is until the boat was about 50 yards away, and a very bright spotlight comes on temporarily blinding us all. Bob and I tell the women to get back into his car and lock the doors. I reached into the bed of my truck and give Bob a tire tool, and I pick up another. You see, I, I work at a tire shop. We have all kinds of tools of the trade in my truck. So we're standing in front of the vehicles in the middle. The hood's up on both as the boat pulls up to the dock. And two heavily bearded men in their 30s to 40s steps off of the boat and walks up to us. It's hard to give an accurate description as their spotlight was still pointed at us, and it covered the men in an eerie shadow whilst blinding Bob and I. Then they look at us and at our vehicles, and one glances in the direction of the car at the women, then back at us, and lets out a small chuckle. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. <sighs> you fellers got some sort of car trouble? One asks as he lights up his cigarette. Yeah, but it's, it's nothing we can't handle. I stammer. The guy with the cigarette sniffs the air and looks down between Bob and I's feet. 
and sees the still smoking ashes of what was the dumper cable. Looks like it was more than your pussy jumper cables could handle. Y'all need some help. We got some tools on the boat that I think can fix you guys' problems right up. Then the other man who had chuckled in the beginning says, Mm-hmm. Fix them right up. I'm speechless at this moment, probably with my mouth hanging open. I can't remember. As the two men walk back to their boat, and we hear what sounds like chains rattling around as we try to make out what they're doing, but the spotlight is so blinding we can barely see. But the chain noise was enough. Bob looked at me without saying a word. We both jumped into his car and drove the fuck out of there. Now, for the next few hours, we drove to a populated area of houses, which wasn't many in the rural area. We were pretty much stuck in since we had very little fuel. But we all sat in the car, mostly quiet, looking around in all directions and near panic, thinking at any time those men would find us. Bob would turn his lights on every now and then, thinking he had seen some movement in the dark. And after a while, the women fell asleep, and Bob and I talked about how fucking weird this whole ordeal had been. And he laughs, saying, I told you it would be a crazy night. I just didn't know it would be this sort of crazy. Now at this point, the paranormal lantern wasn't even the main thing freaking me out. But the men never showed, and eventually the morning was on its way, and it was about 20 minutes until sunrise, and Bob asked if I wanted to go see if the lantern really disappears at sunrise. I asked if he was sure he had enough gas, and he said yeah, the local store opens up in about an hour, so we'd be fine. I tell him in that case, then yeah. We wake the women up and drive back to that hillside. We get there with about four minutes left until sunrise, but we still see the lantern swinging in the woods. Bob looks at me and I smile and do the motion for zipping my lips, and we all watch and wonder as, right at sunrise, the lantern slowly fades away to nothing. After this, we get back into the car and drive back to the lake, feeling safer now. When we get there, there's no sign of the boat, and the hood of my truck is still up and the doors are still locked. On a whim, I tell Bob I'm going to try to start the truck one more time before he drives us somewhere where I can get a cell signal and call for help. And you know, <laughs> well, I'll be damned. The truck started right up with no hesitation nor problem. We all went our separate ways, happy to have seen the sunrise and counting our blessings and swearing to leave the paranormal investigating in this area to others and swearing that we'll never come back to this area and run into the boat people again. However, see all things fade with time, even fear and common sense. Three years later, Bob, who I haven't seen in almost two years at that point, well, he calls me up and he says he has a proposition for me. He goes on to tell me that he has a group of himself and three other Wiccans 
who go out and do a seance in haunted places, and asked me if I would be willing to film their sessions in the haunted places for their records, and that they would pay me well for my services. Now, I'm no Wiccan, but I've always loved the paranormal. Even after what I went through at Sugarloaf, I still had an itch to scratch when it came to getting scared and dealing with the paranormal and the unknown. And I told him yes, I would love to film for them, but I had no interest in joining in that. I was okay with watching and just getting to be out there looking into the paranormal again. And so, of course, my next question was, when and where are we going to be doing this first? When he answered me, I got a terrible gut feeling, and I wish so much that I had trusted my gut. And I told him I had changed my mind. Hey, uh, remember that lantern light out near Sugarloaf? He asked me as if there was any way I could ever forget. Uh, yeah, I stammered. Why do you ask? Well, I told my group the story and they want to do the ritual there. See if we can't contact the spirit and find out why it's there and what it wants. Bob replied. Uh, you know, I don't know, man, I said. Come on, Josh. Trust me, you'll be safe. I'm going to pay 250 bucks just to sit there and film it, he retorted. At that time, I was about to become a father, and money was tight because of diapers, formula, and the like cost a small fortune. Not to mention, it was my first kid, and my new wife's first kid, so she had been going crazy spending money on not just the necessities, but also buying only top-of-the-line baby product toys like crib, playpen, baby monitors, strollers, car seats, a combination pack of play changing table, diaper genie, and designer baby clothes. And so, because my wife was putting us in the poorhouse, I had to weigh out my fear of the area he wanted to go back into, with how important it was I make all the extra money I could. So, against my better judgment, I accepted the offer. And a week later, I was in the same beat-down celebrity Bob was driving three years before. This time with Bob and two guys and one girl that were complete strangers to me. They each were dressed in very gothic clothing and had these pentagram necklaces or something of the sort. It was 11.50 when we got there and the four of them sat in a tight circle and I was behind them to the right about five feet from the barbed fence that was in front of the field that led to the hillside. And my back was to the hillside and the bushes at the fence line. I was filming my friend's circle as they all started chanting something. Now, as I've been typing this entire post, I've been getting knots in my stomach knowing that I was coming to this part of the story. You see, this part of the story haunts my dreams and even waking hours to this day. I'm going to do my best to describe how the following events unfolded, though I know mere words cannot do justice to the pure terror that ensued, or how horribly horrific the events sounded and were. So, when reading or listening to this 
Turn your imagination all the way up. And believe me when I say, up until this point in my life, I was interested in the paranormal. It was a fun hobby to go out ghost hunting or getting myself spooked or whatever. But after this night, I never looked at the paranormal as fun or interesting anymore. I show it respect and stay as far away as possible. As much as I dread it, I will now finish telling this story. As his group is chanting, Bob lights up this huge candle in the middle of them and opens up some sort of book. It's not like a scary antique spell book or anything like that. No, it looks like a newer hardcover. Anyways, he starts reciting words from it, and then he looks at his phone and tells his group to be quiet and to look at the hill. I turn the camera, and at midnight, on the dot, the lantern appears. Now one member of Bob's group blurts out, Cool! And I roll my eyes since the way these people were dressed and the way they carried themselves, the word cool didn't seem to fit in their vocabulary. Then Bob says to his group to join hands as they attempt to communicate with the spirit. I turn my back to the light and begin to film the group as they began chanting again. And Bob reads from the book. Then they start asking questions and hopes the spirit will respond. Now about this time, a wind picks up and Bob's candle goes out. He tells everyone to hold on and tells me, cut the camera for a minute. And I oblige and stop recording and watch as Bob tries his lighter, then two lighters from his group. But none of the lighters are working. I'm sitting down watching the group when I start hearing a rustling from behind me. I jump up, leaving the camera on the ground, and I spin around. Bob and his group are preoccupied with their candle and lighter problem, and as I spin around, I'm blinded by the brightest light I have ever seen. What I believe was the lantern up in close and personal, but as quick as it appears, the light is gone, and the lantern is nowhere to be seen. If it had been the lantern that blinded me, it had moved from the hillside across the field and right behind me with me not realizing it within the span of maybe 30 seconds. I look around for the lantern on the hillside and nothing. It's only 12.15 or so, and the light has always stayed until sunrise. At this moment, the wind quits blowing and I hear Bob's lighter finally flick and I see it light up and I mutter, um, guys, did you see that? They all turn and ask what I'm talking about. But before I can answer them, we're all stopped dead in our tracks by a distant laughter coming from seemingly nowhere and everywhere around us, but distant at the moment like far off. And this is no ordinary laughter, mind you. This laughter sounds like the laughter of hundreds, maybe even thousands of children. And it haunts me to this very moment. As I'm typing this, I... I'm looking around the room I'm in, 
Whenever I think or, or talk about this experience, I can vividly remember that terrifying sound and hear it in my head. Also, it just occurred to me, if you put the latter S at the beginning of laughter, it spells slaughter. <sighs> Why did I just think of that? So, the best way I could describe this laughter is for you to imagine listening to a large group of kids singing, Row, row, row your boat. You know how one kid will start and seconds later another will join in singing at the beginning of the song and so on. Well, this sounded like hundreds or thousands of children laughing. As if one would start laughing and seconds later another would. And that pattern went on in an endless loop. I'm not saying the laughter sounded like the song Row, Row, Row Your Boat. I'm saying they laughed in unison, just like the kids do when singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat. One would start, then seconds later another would, and then another, and then another, and another. And the laughing was getting louder and closer. There was sinister laughing, goofy laughing, giggling all around us coming from all directions. I was shaking. I could not move. I was spinning around and around looking off in the distance. This couldn't be real. This sort of thing does not happen. I mean, what the fuck was happening? So I scream at Bob and his group that we need to get the fuck out of there, but they're already all running for the car leaving their wicked book and candle behind. But without hesitation, I run after them and jump in the car just as the laughter is becoming deafening. We haul ass out of there and drive about a mile up the road and pull over as Bob is in no condition to drive, as we're all just freaking out. And so we all get out of the car, and then pacing the car, asking each other if we really just heard what we just heard. I tell Bob that I'm sorry, but I left his camera behind. He says he didn't care and that he isn't going back for it. At this point, I got my hands on my knees panting, trying to just catch my breath as I've never been in my life so terrified. And that is when all our chatter stops, as once again, we hear the laughter off in the distance, very quietly. Well, at first but slowly getting closer and closer, and louder and louder, until once again, it is becoming deafening. We jump back in the car and speed away. We drive for about six miles, and for the first three miles, we can all still hear the laughter in the distance with our windows down a little. We all begin to calm down a little bit by mile four when the laughter can no longer be heard, but we have no intention of pulling over again, and Bob's friend is in the passenger seat with his phone waiting for a signal to pop up. And about mile six, Bob's friend said, hey, I got full bars, and he hands the phone to Bob and calls a friend of his who is into the occult and well-versed and educated in it. And as we're driving, he's describing what happened to the lady. Bob later told me his friend told him she believed it was the children of Hakate or something like that. Now, I have no idea about what Hakate is, but it sounded like more of a guess to me. 
Anyways, as Bob is on the phone speeding out of the area, me and the other two people in the back seat all get a chill at the same time. And they all told me later that, just like me, the hair on the back of their neck stood up as loud snapping noise comes from the front end of the car. And Bob's celebrity stops dead in its tracks. It'll no longer move forward. He tries everything, but the car is not moving. And we later discovered that a tie rod had snapped. Anyways, the friend Bob was talking to on the phone only lived about 20 minutes away from where we were. And they said that they were on their way. As we sat in the car, nobody spoke. And for about three minutes, we saw a pair of headlights coming down the road towards us. We knew it was too soon to be Bob's friend. But me and Bob thought maybe we could get a ride from a local. And we all unloaded out of the car and stood in front of it, waiting on the vehicle to hopefully stop. Now, I cannot be certain, but my gut tells me I'm correct. The vehicle doesn't stop, but as it comes into view, it's an old pickup truck. It's beat up, and it slows down, and in the truck are two men in their 30s to 40s, with huge beards, and they stare at us and speed up after passing by. I look at Bob, and before I could speak, he says what I was already thinking. The guy's in the boat. Before I could say anything back, we see headlights coming from the direction the truck that passed by just went. And we went still, quiet, as the same guys in the same truck passed by slowly again, staring at us on the side of the road. Bob called his friend back, and I told her to drive like hell and get here now, and hung up. Four or five minutes go by, and we see headlights coming. Relieved, we get all of our stuff ready, thinking it is Bob's friend. And then his phone rings. It was the lady who was coming to get us, telling Bob she took a wrong turn. It was going to be about 10 to 15 minutes more before she gets there. Now Bob hangs up the phone and watches in terror, as I do, as the same truck slowly passes by again. And this time, with only one of the boatmen in the truck. This time, the driver slows to a crawl and says, Looks like you fellas could use some help. And then speeds up and drives off. This cemented the fact to Bob and I that we were dealing with the boat guys. But where the hell did the other guy go? Why wasn't he in the passenger seat? And to make matters worse, at this point, something we had almost completely forgot about due to the boatmen was immediately reminded to us as we began to hear the laughter again off in the distance, but all around us like before. And over the next few minutes, it started getting closer and closer. I'm almost pissing my pants as the sound is getting deafening and we have nowhere to run this time. And then from behind our car, off in the distance, we see two sets of headlights come on, and two vehicles coming towards us slowly, side by side, taking up the entire width of the backcountry dirt road, both coming our way. The laughter seems to be coming from the woods on both sides of the road we're stuck on, 
and laughing seems to be zeroing in on us, as if hundreds or thousands of children are within reaching distance of us. There is no wind, no sound other than the crunch of tires on the rocky dirt road of the two vehicles slowly driving towards us. With our last shred of hope fading away into the laughter of the children and the headlights of the two vehicles surely being driven by the boatmen, we were given a reprieve. At this time, coming from the other direction, we see another set of headlights coming fast. We hold our breath. The laughter, the boatmen. I mean, what could be next? And how will we get out of this? And that is when the vehicle that was coming fast pulls up. And it's Bob's friend. She unlocks the door on our car and rolls her windows down and begins to tell us to get in. And when this happens, the two sets of headlights coming from the other direction turn off. And Bob's friend says, Oh my god. You weren't kidding about the laughing kids. And she screams at us to get in, and we do. We begin to tell her about the boat guys, and she turns the car around, and no sooner than she starts to drive away, the two sets of headlights come on again, this time with their brights on. And they're about a car length behind the car. I yell to the driver, go, 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 channeling my inner Jeff Goldblum, telling her faster, must go faster. She floors it for about a mile, and the two vehicles stay on our ass. Then they turn off onto a side road. And for about the next two miles after that, we can all hear the laughter still way off in the distance with our windows down. Then about three miles after that, the laughter was gone. To this day, you know, I have no explanation to what happened, what the laughing children were, why the laughing followed us. If the boatmen were connected to all of this somehow, or if they were merely a coincidence that happened to terrify us at the same time as the paranormal stuff was happening. And if that was the case, why did they not react to the laughing children's sound? Is the lantern connected to the laughing children, or did Bob and his group mistakenly call forth the laughing children through their ritual? Now, like I said, this had happened years ago, but... I just still feel as terrified now when I tell people about it or thinking about it. I've had constant chills and goosebumps as I've written this. I'm sorry for any typos or grammar issues, but I'm as shaky as well. I'm going to post the story as is. I hope it's readable, and I hope somebody who reads this and had a similar experience could share their story with me. In a weird way, I believe that will help me deal with the trauma this experience still causes me to this day. And to all of you who think the paranormal is just a fun hobby to get your thrills with, I beg of you, honestly, and I warn you that we are not prepared for what really is out there. You could think nothing will scare you or harm you, but you're dealing with unknown things. You have no idea how powerful or mundane the paranormal could be. If you use the paranormal as a thrill-seeking hobby, just use caution and always have your vehicle checked out beforehand. 
Oh, and watch out for seemingly psychopathic hillbillies and laughing children. I hope everyone who reads this sleeps well. But I know that after telling my story like this, for at least the next few nights, I will be getting no sleep at all. Oh, yeah, I had forgot to include this important coincidence. When we had driven fast away from the lantern in 2003, after it came swooping across the field towards us, the song Unforgiven by Metallica had been playing on the radio. And then in 2006, when we had first heard the laughter when we were by the hillside and jumped in the car, the same song was on again. This time, on a mixtape that one of Bob's fellow Wiccans had made and brought. 